0: Well, Jeroboam, 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 we thought Rehoboam was bad. Jeroboam's a mess, isn't he? Of course, Jeroboam, we don't have that much sympathy for because he's not David's grandson. It's not like, you know, oh no, he's just some guy. But there's a lot that we can learn from this guy. So remember, God has already promised 10 tribes to Jeroboam. Last week, we saw the foolishness of Rehoboam leading to the fulfillment of that promise of God. Jeroboam now has 10 tribes that he rules. He's a king, just like God said he would be, right? Well, this week, we get to see the foolishness of Jeroboam. And what I want us to see is how all of this foolishness and sin flows out of one simple thing that doesn't seem so bad. Just one little thing leads to a lot of problems. We haven't even begun to see the problems. We we see in this passage that, Rehob- that that Jeroboam establishes idolatry in the land, right? And that's the the start of the problem. But that's not the one little thing. That's the result, and it will have catastrophic consequences as we continue through. This book, and it'll be referenced over and over and over again. These golden calves that he set up, we read about them here. Kids, did you notice where they got set up? Yeah. Dan and Bethel. So the people were going to begin worshiping in these new cities instead of Jerusalem. But what were they going to be worshiping? Golden calves. Now where else have we seen golden calves before, kids? You Remember any place where there are golden calves? Yeah, zeal. What's that? Aaron, yeah, on Mount Sinai. When Moses is up on the mountain and the people are down below and they're partying it up, right? It's such a big, loud party that it sounds like battle to Moses. Sounds like there's a big war going on down below. Have you guys ever been on a college campus when there's a frat party? Kind of sounds like a big war is going on. If you've never experienced it, you'll have to take my word for it. They're loud. Loud, loud, loud. the, the, The bigger the party, the louder it gets, right? Well, this was one big party, and it ended with the people coming to Aaron and giving him all of their... Golden rings and bracelets and other jewelry. And he throws it all into a fire and poof, out comes a golden calf. Is that, is that what happens? Well, where did I come up with that story if that's not what happens? Oh, all the redheads want to answer today. Yeah, yeah. He was lying. Oh, he said it. Yeah, that's right. That's what he said happened. But actually, he formed a golden calf, didn't he? So there's a history, a long history, of the people of God turning to worship idols. And in particular, turning to the worship of a golden calf. And so Jeroboam sets up these two golden calves in two different cities, and the people begin to worship these golden calves. Now, one thing that I want to just pause on here for a minute is I want you to note that he says... To the people, behold your gods, O Israel, that brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now this also is what the people of Israel did under Aaron. They said, we're worshiping the God who brought us up from the land of Egypt. What God brought them up from the land of Egypt? Yahweh, the one true God. So there's two things going on here. One, they're wanting to continue to claim that they are worshiping Yahweh, on the one hand. And on the other hand, they are turning to idolatry instead. See how it's possible for us to want to say, oh, I'm worshiping God. While at the very same time, not worshiping God but worshiping an idol. That's very important for us to see and to realize that there are many, many people in, this, in these ten tribes who all want to worship God, right? But do they actually want to worship God? No, they want to worship Something that they've made, an idol, while claiming that they're worshiping God. And that's something that we still do today. We make idols and then we justify ourselves by saying, well, actually, this is good. I'm still doing what God requires I'm still a follower of the one true God. You'll see this kind of thing play out when people say, well, Judaism and Christianity and Islam all worship the same God, right? They're all monotheistic. He doesn't even get that right here, Jeroboam, you know, your gods, O oh Israel, that brought you up out of Egypt. But here we've got these temptations to, to pretend as though our God is the same as some other God. To pretend as though our God the one who has accomplished great things, the one who has sent a Savior for for us, the one who's brought us up out of the land of Egypt, the one who's delivered us out of our sins, right? That's the God that we want to claim to be worshiping while at the same time we're, we're going to be tempted to say, yeah, and that's the same God that Muslims worship. Yeah, that's that's the same God that the Jehovah's Witnesses worship. That's the same God that Mormons worship. When what they've done is they've set up a golden calf. They've set up something that is totally different to worship. They've set up a God. Or they've set up gods to worship. And then they have taken the glory of god they've taken his marvelous works and they've attributed them to this idol they've stolen god's glory and they've put it out a golden calf and it's that stealing of glory and uh, giving that to some idol right that then makes us feel justified in saying well yeah that's the God I worship, the God that brought us up out of Egypt. You see how doubly wicked that is. It's not just turning away from God into an idol. It's trying to steal God's glory along with it and justify ourselves and saying, yeah, that's, that's why I worship this golden calf, because this is the God that brought us up out of Egypt. Lord willing, in the coming weeks we'll have more opportunities to see the way that we give ourselves that quick twist of perspective that flips everything upside down and and leaves us feeling so self-justified in worshiping idols. But I want to spend this morning focusing on this thing I said. You know, there's one little thing that led to all of this. That idolatry is awful. And we'll see the the results, as I mentioned, in the coming weeks. It's just throughout the book, reference to these golden calves that he set up. He's dead and gone, and they're still talking about him and his golden calves that he set up. But how did it happen? How did it happen that Jeroboam set up these calves? What was it that led to this disaster? Here's here's what it comes down to. Jeroboam doubted God's promises. That's it. That's the only thing that went wrong. God doubted, Jeroboam doubted God's promises. He didn't believe that what God had said he would do, he would actually do. And the moment that Jeroboam doubted God's word, he headed straight into sin. He headed straight onto a path that led to idolatry. That idolatry leads to Disaster after disaster after disaster for God's people. Here he is, the father of a new kingdom. The king, right? He's the father of the people. And what he does is he takes his new leadership, and there's... There's some, uh, there's some new husbands and new fathers here. New leadership, right? What are you going to do with it? Jeroboam takes it. And in fear, he leads the people straight into sin. Here is what God... Had said to Jeroboam. From the previous chapter, 1 Kings 11, 37 through 38, God says, I will take you, and you shall reign over whatever you desire, and you shall be king over Israel. Does Jeroboam believe him? How does our text start? He says in his heart, verse 26, Now the kingdom will return to the house of David. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will return to their Lord, even to Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So he doesn't believe what God said, does he? I will take you and you shall reign over whatever you desire. You shall be king over Israel. Let's read the next verse. Then it will be that if you listen to all that I command you and walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight by observing my statutes and my commandments as my servant David did, then I will be with you and build you an enduring house as I built for David and I will give Israel to you. It's so simple, isn't it? It's so clear. God's word by a prophet that's been proven already to be true. The prophet says, take ten pieces for yourself. He takes the ten pieces. This means you're going to have the ten tribes. And then what did we read last week? Rehoboam's foolishness leads to the ten tribes. Jeroboam has them. but he's insecure. He's an insecure leader, and therefore he is afraid that he'll lose his authority, that he'll lose the respect of the people, that he'll, that he'll lose his kingdom. And he doubts what God had said. What had God said? They're yours. And then he'd said, obey me and I'll establish it. And so Jeroboam turns and immediately does exactly the opposite. He doesn't obey him. And instead, he turns and says, I can't trust God to establish my kingdom. Even though God just told me, I'll give you the kingdom, and then did it. Nope, can't trust him. Can't obey him. Need to make this happen for myself. I'm going to make sure I don't lose this kingdom. Jeroboam has nothing to be afraid of, though, does he? And what kind of promise is that that God has given him? It's, so, it's, just, it's just wonderful. I'll establish your kingdom. You'll rule over whatever you want. David was anointed. And you remember how long David had to wait before he became king? Before he was given the kingdom? Oh, he waited, and he waited, and he waited, and he waited patiently. He waited while David, while Saul tried to kill him. But what did David do? He just kept trusting God, believing God's promise. Jeroboam doesn't believe God. He doesn't believe his promise. He doubts that God will keep his word, and it leads straight to his sin. And isn't it interesting that God... Holds up David as the model for him. Be like David and I'll give you a kingdom like I gave to David. What does it mean to be like David? Obeying God. Do what is right. Listen to all that I command you. Walk in my ways. Do what is right in my sight, observing my statutes, my commandments as my servant David did. Then I will be with you and build you an enduring house as I built for David, and I will give Israel to you. But Jeroboam's fear is, I'm not going to be able to stay king. If they go up to Jerusalem, they're going to start liking that other guy again. Sounds kind of like an insecure boyfriend, right? Jeroboam is afraid the people are going to begin to love Rehoboam. He's afraid that he's going to lose the kingdom, that God won't protect it. And so it leads him to follow another plan. A plan that's different from the one that God said would be good for him. Instead of obeying God, instead of worshiping God, instead of keeping his commandments, instead of being like David, a man after God's own heart, I think what I'll do is try to keep the people from going up to Jerusalem if the people don't go up to Jerusalem, then they won't have that contact with that king who's king over in Jerusalem, that Rehoboam dude, and I'll be able to make sure that they love me and they, they don't start loving that guy. How am I going to keep them from going up there? That's where they worship. They've got to go up there to worship. I know. I'll set up other places for them to worship. That's the obvious solution. Never mind the fact that God had chosen the city of David, this Jerusalem, to be the place where his name would dwell, and the temple in particular, and we've studied that, and demonstrated it and proved it by his holy presence, his cloud, his glory filling the temple, right? He's present, he's there, he's among the people. Jeroboam, straight to idolatry. The moment that he doesn't believe that God will keep his promise, the moment he doubts that he'll have that blessing that God promised, is the moment that he begins to disobey. Right then. He can't help but set up idols the moment he isn't trusting God. Well, It's a sad story. Even if you don't particularly like Jeroboam, and after all, if you've read Kings, how could you like Jeroboam? He's the author of disaster for generation after generation after generation through this idolatry, right? But that's reason enough to be sad all the people that suffer because of that bad father. And think about what it could have been. Let's let's you know, it's it's bad to deal in hypotheticals, of course, but God actually told him what would happen. So it's it's not a hypothetical if if he had simply been obedient to God. And this Sounds crazy from a worldly perspective. But imagine what that would look like. From a worldly perspective, it's absurd. It gives power to his competitor. Obedience to God on the part of Jeroboam would look like him going up to Jerusalem, the capital city of his enemy, where his enemy reigns, the enemy who has, by the way, just been on the verge of raising an army to go kill Rehoboam, Right? I mean, to go kill Jeroboam. And Jeroboam needs to go up there and go worship in the temple in Jerusalem. Along with all of his people. Totally dependent on Rehoboam to be a good king. Totally dependent on Rehoboam not to just slaughter them as they're entering the city. You'd have to be an idiot, right? Rehoboam wants the kingdom back. I can't do that. You must be out of your mind, God. You can't really expect me to be that stupid that I can believe your promises. You see, immediately. Immediately. How quick it is to just be like, that's absurd, you can't, that's, but if he would have just done that, if he would have just, instead of leading the people to Dan and to Bethel to worship golden calves, led them to Jerusalem to worship the one true God, what does God say would have happened? He wouldn't have lost the kingdom, his kingdom would have been established. That's what would have happened. He doesn't believe it. Do you believe God's word? Do you believe God's promises? That's the real question. Is there any believing of God's promises that doesn't necessarily lead to action that looks absurd in the world's eyes? There's not. Every time you believe God's word, you walk by faith. And faith is, in the world's eyes, is idiocy. Faith in the world's eyes, I just feel sorry for them. Those Christians, they don't know what they're missing out on. That's what the world thinks. At best, they think you're somebody to be pitied. or just a complete numbskull, or someone to be killed, someone to be hated. But faith in God's promises means we cast ourselves on his protection. We believe that he has the power to accomplish what he has said he will accomplish. So what can we learn from Jeroboam? Obey God and you will be blessed. Of course, that's the inverse. You you learn from his bad example what being good looks like, right kids? You know how you've got some friends that are good and you learn from their good example and you've got other friends that are bad and you learn what not to do from them, right? Well, here we learn from Jeroboam what not to do and what to do instead. What to do instead is obey God. If you obey God, you will be blessed. Now, I I thought for a while about what verses I would use that just say that, right? There's actually a lot of verses that say that. Obey God and you will be blessed. That's not a quote, although it probably is in the Psalms several places, if I remember right. Uh, But here's what I settled on. I'm not going to quote a bunch of verses to you. I'm just going to read one verse to you, okay? that is typical of obey God and you will be blessed. Here it is. We sang it already. Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Who wants to die young? Nobody. Nobody wants to die young. We want our days to be prolonged, and we want them to be prolonged in the land that God is giving us, right? Honor your father and mother. That's what's required if you want that blessing. Obey God, and you will be blessed. It's simple. It's all over the place in the Bible. Obey God, and you will be blessed. But oh boy, is it easy to doubt that. Oh boy, is it easy for us to be like Jeroboam? What did Jeroboam do? Doubt God's promises, and you will destroy your kingdom. Doubt God's promises, and you'll destroy your kingdom. Your family, your house your room, your car. Whatever it is that you have, yourself, that's what you destroy when you doubt God's kingdom, God's promises. Doubting still leads straight to idolatry in our lives. How is that possible? We don't have golden calves these days, right? At least I haven't seen an idol that I remember since I left Nashville. They have a replica of the Parthenon there and a great big golden statue of... What? Athena, yeah, that's right. Thanks. (laughs) It's beautiful. But you know, I, I went there a couple times. I never saw anybody worshiping. So idolatry must have gone by the wayside, right? We all just worship God now, I suppose. No, there's still idolatry. And it's interesting how, how quickly... Doubting what God has said leads straight to idolatry. What sorts of things do we end up doubting? What, what kinds of promises has God given to us? Well, I remember preaching through Peter and. The central focus there, if you remember, was his insistence that we believe that God had an imperishable inheritance for us. Imperishable! It's not just this, God has an inheritance for you. Imperishable. You kids know what perishable goods are? Do do you? Raise your hand if you know what perishable goods are. Just a a couple hands, okay. So perishable goods are goods that if you leave them in the garage, they're going to rot and stink. There's going to be bugs crawling around in them. It's going to be nasty. Have you kids ever had uh, the unfortunate experience of smelling rotten potatoes? Oh boy. One time I worked for a food pantry for a day sorting potatoes huge pallets of potatoes, some of which were rotten. Walking into that warehouse Bo. And then, good, 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 gross, not good, perished, it perished. An imperishable inheritance is one that never rots, one that never goes bad one that's always there. So what is that inheritance? Well, there again, you know, some of you say immediately, well, heaven, heaven is our inheritance, right? Heaven is our inheritance. And then the doubts start creeping in right then, don't they? But is it actually good? I mean, the culture has done a great job of portraying heaven as boring, right? Sit around on a cloud all day, playing a harp. Great. Doesn't sound very fun to me. Why? Why? We've begun to doubt. And so, uh, you know, I know that imperishable inheritance is out there. And I know that it's good, theoretically. Just like Jeroboam knew that the kingdom was his and that if he obeyed God, it would stay his, theoretically. But... uh, What I'm really worried about is whether I'm going to have what I want today. That's what I'm really worried about. And tomorrow. And the next day. Heaven? Yeah, that'll come eventually, and I I suppose it'll be good. But it doesn't really sound that good. And so we begin to run after things other than God. Because we're afraid God won't give us good gifts. Doubting leads to idolatry. What kinds of things do we run after? Well, we run after money, don't we? How easy is it to run after money? Very easy. Very easy. Incredibly easy. So many kingdoms, so many families destroyed by a father running after money. Destroyed? Really? Yep, really. I thought I was just providing for my family. When what's actually going on is, I want more money. And that's it. That's all that's going on. I want more money. And how quickly we've turned aside from doing the things that we know we are to do. Obedience to God, right? How many ways are there of disobeying God with regard to loving money? There's an infinite number of ways. Neglecting our family to spend time at work because we want more money is disobedience to God. It's just disobedience to God. Why? Because we doubt that he'll provide for us. We doubt his promise. And so we begin to make an idol out of what we think we need. And isn't it interesting? God knows we need money. God knows we need food. God knows we need clothes. And he's told us, reminded us, I know what you need. Don't worry. I know what you need. He told Jeroboam, I'll give you the kingdom. Jeroboam says, no, you don't understand, God. I need the kingdom. But that's, that's what God said he would give him. Holding on tight. No, you don't understand. All these things I need. How many ways are there to make money an idol? Shopping is a good one, right? You know the experience of taking money in your hands and going and getting what you want. Maybe at a garage sale, in which case it's all about the deal you got, right? Maybe at a high-end name brand fashion mall, ooh, and then it's all about the name that you got. Or maybe it's just about the power, the control that you can have of just I want, therefore, I will take. Right now, wherever I am, I will buy. It will make me feel good. It will make me feel satisfied. I'll buy it. What is going on when we give ourselves to idolatry? And and, Oh, man. How many idols there are. I'm only talking about money right now, but what are the things, good or bad in your life, that you're tempted to grasp onto like that? For many single people, they're desperate about marriage. How many Wives in the Bible are desperate to have children, and it leads them straight into wicked, wicked sin. Straight into idolatry. Idolatry of their children. How many times the Bible warns men against lust because we want, we lust, we want. How will I get what I want? I know, I'll get married. You see, marriage will never solve that problem. Yes, it is a gift, a good gift from God. The moment you idolize it is the moment you destroy it. It's the moment you're given over through disbelief. And so, Jeroboam, first we learn, Obey God and you'll be blessed. Then we learn, doubt God's promises and you'll end up destroying your kingdom. And what this leads us to in the end is the necessary understanding that faith and obedience go together. Faith and obedience can't be taken apart from each other. You have to believe that obedience will be blessed. That requires faith, doesn't it? If you believe that obedience will be blessed, then you will obey. If you don't believe that obedience will be good for you, I know God said he would give me the kingdom as an inheritance. Ten tribes to rule. A kingly line that will go down like David's. I know God said. I just can't see how he would actually accomplish that if I went up to Jerusalem. Because obviously that would lead to me dying. That would lead to the people worshiping, I mean loving Rehoboam again. Faith and obedience. You have to believe that obedience will be blessed before you can obey. John 3:36, we read: He who believes in the Son has eternal life. There you go. Promise. He who believes in the Son. In the Son has eternal life. The moment you begin to doubt that, what do you what do you start to do? Well, if eternal life matters to you, you start looking for a way to get eternal life without belief. Right? You're going have to work my way there. The verse continues though. But he who does not, what, what do you think, what word comes next? He, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not, kids, what do you think? Yeah, see. believe, that's what you'd think would be there, right? That's not what's there. I knew that's what you'd think, because that's what I would think. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, But he who does not, Paul said it, obey. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Isn't that amazing how closely bound together belief and obedience are? Why does it switch from he who believes in the Son has eternal life in the first part of the sentence, to, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Because that's how intertwined faith, belief, and obedience are. In other words, it's simple. The reason why belief is replaced with obey in the second part of the verse is because You can't and won't obey if you don't believe in the Son. If you believe in the Son, you'll have eternal life. Not because you have obeyed, but you will obey because you'll believe. You'll believe what he says. You'll believe that his promises are true. And so, yeah, you know, there's a question. How am I going to get what I want? Well, I'm going to do what God says I need to do to get what I want. It begs the question, though, like, well, what do I want? Well, you know what? I'm going to want the things that God says I ought to want and that will be good for me, he says are going to be good for me, instead of wanting the things that are bad for me. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So as I close, think of Jeroboam. The wrath of God is coming. Because of his disobedience. But when we believe, it shapes our whole life. Everything becomes about what he has said. What he has said, we believe, and it shapes all of our actions. But those who do not believe do not obey. Why would you? You don't believe it will lead to good. Therefore, you will not do it. And so you will not obey. And therefore, you will not see life, but the wrath of God will abide on you. And so, yes, I want all of you to hear me saying, first and foremost, learn from Jeroboam to obey. But I then want you to ask the question, how could I possibly do that? And how is it that Jeroboam did not? Right? And it'll push you straight back to whether or not you believe. It pushes you right there. If Jeroboam had just believed God, there would have been a king. The rest of the book of Kings would have been so different. (laughs) A kingly line. Don't fall into disbelief because disbelief leads immediately to disobedience and idolatry. Simply believe and you will be obeying. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what what a life Jeroboam led. Father, what a stark, stark reminder we have in seeing how immediately he doubted what you had said, even after you proved your word was true. Please, Father, help us to believe your words so that we may obey you. Help us to learn from Jeroboam. Father, there are so many idols and so many ways that we are tempted to disbelieve, that Satan lies to us just as he lied to Eve in the garden. There are so many ways that we justify ourselves and say, actually, we're still obeying. We have believed and we're still obeying. while we're giving ourselves to idolatry. Father, help us to repent, believe, and obey by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.